Hello, I'm Glenn Longarini, the Executive Director of the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference, otherwise known as the CIAC. And I'm Jada Maribel, a former CIAC athlete and co-host of the CIAC Glory Days podcast. Today, Glenn and I are joined by Gary Franklin, Principal of Northwestern Regional High School and Chair of the CIAC Boys Basketball Committee, and Katrina Holly-Stewart, the Head Girls Basketball Coach at Hill House High School and a member of the CIAC Girls Basketball Committee. On today's episode, we continue to discuss the CIAC's process to change bylaws, rules, and regulations. Today, we'll be talking about the addition of the shot clock into CIAC basketball games and a one-tick-of-the-clock sit period for a player who receives a technical. Both of these will be implemented into this season and have been approved by both the boys' and girls' basketball committees. So, Gary and Katrina, welcome to the CIAC Glory Days podcast. Um, we're going to get right into it and talk about the implementation of the shot clock. This has been a topic of discussion for a long period of time for both the boys' and girls' basketball committees. And I believe that's more than 90% of coaches are in approval of this proposal. And um, even though there are still around 28 states that don't have this implemented yet. So why do you think there's such a big interest for Connecticut coaches to have this be a part of their game? Well, it, it completely changes the game of coaching, and it changes the game for our student athletes, especially when it comes to college. Um, our college coaches are going to be able to see students make game-like decisions versus the coaches taking control. Mm -hmm. And for the coaches' standpoint, um, I don't have to go in halftime down and have to coach. How do I not allow them to take time off the clock? Mm -hmm. It is game-like strategies. So I'm excited for it. I'm excited for students to be able to score more points, have more opportunities, and for me to be able to up my game in coaching. Gary, from the Boys Committee uh, perspective, what have been some of the conversations on the Boys Committee about why they want to implement the shot clock? Yeah, so thank you. And, and I think it's, it's an interesting conversation. And, um, you know, first of all, just the, the members of the Boys Committee, they do a phenomenal job. Um, they really look at any type of proposed rule changes from different perspectives, and I value their input. And I think, you know, kind of balancing the, um, the impact of the game. So what what will the implementation of the shot clock actually do to the game, as you had mentioned a little while ago? Um, and is it necessary? Uh, I think, you know, those are some of the things that, that were really discussed. Also, the timeliness. Um, you know, I remember that, you know, when these discussions picked up a lot, it was a matter of, you know, what are the budgetary implications? Um, there was a, I, I think it was like a, a supply chain issue at the time. So if we were to move forward and make these changes and, and require the shot clock, what does that mean for schools and districts as far as making these changes and installing the shot clock? So, you know, there's a lot of discussion around it at the end of the day, um, you know, just as far as looking at the overall evolution of the game, uh, the decision was made to move forward and, and, uh, and make the shift to a shot clock. And our basketball committees, just like all our committees, they're made up of coaches, athletic directors, uh, a representative of an official from the sport, uh, as well as administrators. Uh, for a long time when the shot clock was discussed, there was a perception there that we were way behind the times. And I think largely that may have been uh, because we're surrounded by a, a few states that used it. But uh, up to two years ago, there were only eight states in the country that, that used the shot clock. Uh, and largely because the NFHS didn't have it as part of their playing rules until uh, just a couple years ago. So as these discussions had happened in the past, you know, and, and even now, are there any concerns about using uh, the shot clock this year? Yeah, I think, you know, some of the concerns just stems from the unknown a little bit because we haven't actually 
uh, you know, gone through the process of utilizing the shot clock in games and just, you know, always even considering the what ifs. So what if a shot clock is not working in the game? What is the backup plan? Things like that. And just making sure that the gameplay is fair for both sides. Um, and so, you know, there, there's those concerns. Um, there's the, the obviously the training of who's going to operate the shot clock and making sure that that not only is their training, but then how are they going to be compensated? Um, and so, again, that ties into the budgetary piece. So, so these are the concerns. Uh, and then also, um, you know, the, the strategy. And so what, what exactly does the game look like, as I had mentioned? Um, and, you know, the, the fact that the gameplay may speed up a little bit, is that going to be a positive across the board? So if you happen to be playing a team that may not be, that may be struggling, maybe a, a down year, um, you know, is that implementation of a shot clock going to be detrimental to the game, the game versus uh, positive? Yeah, and, and I think you mentioned, too, just the financial concerns of that. So it sounds like the, the committee, that was a large uh, piece of the discussion for both committees. And as you mentioned, there was a delay rather than implementing it last year. Yeah, there was a one year delay to address any financial concerns for districts, the budget for it. Uh, and to uh, address the um, availability of the shot clocks and the, yeah. the potential shipping issues uh, that, that we were having as well. Um, did either of your schools have to uh, install a shot clock, or did you already have it? No, we did have to. We had to purchase shot clocks, have them delivered, and install them. Um, and so we, we went through that process. Thankfully, we did have the time uh, that was granted in order to make those changes. Uh, and also, you know, also to share the flexibility because, you know, as the discussion progressed, it was a matter of will the shot clock be required at all levels? So will it be freshman, JV, and varsity games? And if so, what are the budgetary impacts uh, with that as well? Um, and so now moving forward, districts do, you know, we, we have the flexibility to utilize the shot clocks at every level, um, but at the same time, only required at the varsity level. All right. So, Katrina, in addition to financial concerns, some coaches and administrators who aren't in favor of the shot clock, who say that, you know, most positions are able to be set up within 35 seconds of the game, and that that's part of the game that you have to coach against that strategy, that the shot clock might take away that whole aspect of it. So as one of the most accomplished coaches in Connecticut, what are your thoughts on those opinions for people who are against it? We always have to make adjustments. We've been making adjustments throughout this time of basketball, especially girls' basketball, and it's been beneficial. So, um, like I said before, understanding that we do have a shot clock, going back to the drawing board and learning and um, developing as coaches and teaching your students, your players, how to adjust. Um, so I think it's going to be, in, in the long run, really beneficial for us. So, Katrina, you're going to start in uh, just about a month uh, with our practices that Monday after Thanksgiving. Uh, Pre-planning for this first year of the shot clock, what are you doing now in, in terms of thinking about how you're going to uh, approach game strategy with your with your kids? Is is it something that you think they're used to from you know AAU circuits and what they do over the summer, or are you actually you know planning out specifically in practice um, how to you know uh, handle the ball or handle a possession if that shot clock is running down? So um, it's been great for Bill Dixon to have the um, Parks and Recs, uh, Fall League, and Summer League. So we actually been using shot clocks last year. So the student, our players have been playing with the shot clock. So what I'm going to implement this year for practice, now that we just got it installed, is to have our practice run with the shot clock consistently. So just getting them used to hearing the buzzer, um, bringing in the referees to discuss, you know, how it's going to be implemented, what are the signs, what are the signals. I'm not the professional, the referees are. 
So I think that we're just going to study it, understand it, implement it, and have fun with it. That's great. I want to put a little plug in, too, because you had mentioned the kids understanding it. Um, mm -hmm. There is a program run by IABO. IABO is the uh, Basketball Officials uh, Association, national organization. All of our basketball officials here in Connecticut are part of that IABO association as well. And they have a program called the Junior IABO. So this is, I think it's about $10 per uh, per person to access uh, this online program with IABO. But it takes the kids through um, preparing for a game and officiating uh, a game from the lens of the officials. So you, you get a, a good understanding of the rules. You get some understanding of, of officials positioning. And the hope is through this junior program, one, we can increase uh, interest in officiating at a younger level. But two, that the players in the game actually get a deeper understanding of of that game from knowing where the positioning of the officials are going to be, where uh, you know where calls will be coming from, what they're looking for. So, uh, really, really interesting program by uh, by Iabo out there. Uh, awesome. and, and thinking about our officials, Gary, sportsmanship is always uh, something that is a high priority for CIAC. I know for the basketball uh, committees as well. So you also introduced this year um, a new rule that will go into effect, both boys and girls, that uh, addresses kind of a sportsmanship piece of that, where if a player receives a technical foul, they will be required to exit the court for one tick of the clock. Tell us about those discussions and how this proposal came about. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, from both committees' perspective, sportsmanship is so important, right? And we recognize the emotions associated with competing at a very high level. Um, and, and so we wouldn't be wise if we didn't recognize that. But at the end of the day, emotions matter. And, and I know that as, as former athletes, as, as educators, as coaches, we recognize that not only do emotions matter, but they impact teaching and learning and also decision-making. So when you look at everything from that perspective, if there is a situation when there is a, a player that does receive a technical foul for whatever reason on the court, giving them an opportunity, and I really look at this as an opportunity where they are going to step off the court for one tick of the clock. And so it isn't for a, a long period of time necessarily, um, but just to standardize that process. And, and, and I think that provides the, the coach and the player an opportunity to regulate their emotions. Um, you know, we're fortunate here in the state of Connecticut where a lot of our coaches, this, this is not really going to change their practice. They move forward and, and if they see that one of their players is struggling emotionally at the time, many of our coaches take them out and it may be for a longer period of time until they're ready to contribute on the court. Um, but with that said, you know, this does kind of standardize the process and making it a standard operating procedure. So Katrina, do you agree with what he just said, how this will help players regain their composure for that one tick of the clock and hopefully come back in and avoid getting a second technical and getting ejected from the game? I absolutely agree. I love the restorative approach. Being able to reflect one second is a very long mm -hmm. time. Um, it allows a, the player to look in a different lens. I want to be out there with my team. I have to become a team uh, member mm -hmm. and I have to reflect that on the court. So it gives me time to reflect, gives me time for a coach to sit next to me to talk to me about that it takes the emotion out the game. Mm -hmm. You start thinking with your head versus with your emotions. So definitely I agree. Yes, very true. So as we were talking about sportsmanship, Gary, um, it's been a big area of emphasis for the CIC these past couple of years. And your school is a part of the CIC Class Acts program. So tell us about how your school promotes sportsmanship at high school games within your community. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think, you know, it all kind of starts with 
um, with the leader of our athletic uh, department. So Fred Williams is, is a fantastic leader um, for athletics at Northwestern, and that, that just filters to our coaches and our players. Um, but you can say as much as you want. You, know, you can read the sportsmanship um, statement before games, which we do, uh, but at the end of the day, it's how, how do we want to feel when we're at a sporting event? How do we want other people to feel when they're, they're in your gym? And so really kind of looking at it from that standpoint. And, you know, I, I have to tell you, we leverage a lot with relationships, right? And so, yes, we have an athletic director or an administrator at our games, but we also rely on our, our students to help us. So we have student leaders that are in the stands that we can talk to and they can help us with the situation in a way that if I'm going to address it, maybe it's not going to be as well received as if one of, you know, a a captain of a sports team is addressing it. And so we really look at involving our students and setting the tone as well as the adults. Katrina, when when we think about the emotion of, of the game and how our players are interacting with officials, you know, again, I think when we look at videos and tapes at the end, you know, rarely if ever does an official's call actually determine an outcome of a game. But the way we manage our emotion during the game when we feel a a call went against us is something that for young players can be difficult to do. How do you work with your athletes and what are your expectations of kids when when they're on the floor in terms of their interaction of official reacting to official's call and how, as a coach, do you model that yourself? That's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> so with, this, with our players and the referees, we try to get them to understand that you're not going to change the call. You know, you have to make those adjustments. Um, so you have to understand how the refs are calling the game because all boards are different, all refs are, you know, are, some are similar, but some are different. So you take the emotion out. So really teaching the students how to take, players to take the emotion out of the game and just come together and play together adjustments. And then how do I model that? I'm getting much better, but just understanding also that what I teach is what I have to do, that I'm not going to change the call by arguing it. Um, They are human beings. We make mistakes, they make mistakes, and we just have to know it's not going to happen again. So being respectful, understanding that that it is a game, Um, and modeling for my students so they can, my players so they can understand that it is a game. And you know, sometimes the uh, the criticisms we hear the most or the comments we hear the most that kind of make us cringe a little bit come from the stands. And uh, and sometimes and many times not from the student sections in the stands, but right. from the parent sections in the stands. Right. So, you know, coming into the basketball season this year, if you can share something with parents who are there watching your kids, what what would you want to say to to parents to help kids have a good experience? So we have a parent meeting every year, and we we try to get them together more than once. And we just say, you know, we want you to encourage your your, your daughter. We want you to encourage the gameplay, our sportsmanship. And so we just really, really, you know, get deep into how that happens. We even give them words that they can use. We also teach the students, we do a lot of players, sorry, We do a lot of circle talk of how to work things out, what you expect, what does respect mean to you, how do you apply this. So we do that with the parents also. So the expectations of cheering for the team and just really putting out positivity to if we're winning or losing, we focus on our children, our team. Sounds like a lot of these lessons just aren't about the game. Right. 
So, Gary, there's a national shortage right now of officials. So, as Glenn just mentioned, sometimes there comes criticism from the stands and from spectators. So, as an administrator, how does your school handle those type of situations? So, first of all, I was thinking about a situation on my way home yesterday. I was listening to ESPN Radio, right? And I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. Big game coming up on Sunday against the Eagles. And the commentators were basically saying, you know, listen, if you're a Cowboys fan and you plan on going down to Philadelphia for this game, you may want to think twice and all of this stuff, talking about what would happen if you were to show up with a Dallas Cowboys hat or jersey on. Um, And so, and he's, you know, the commentator wasn't wrong. You know, I could certainly see if I was to go to that game how I would feel and and what may happen uh, as a result. And so, you know, that's, we're talking about sports at a high school level. There's a lot of similarities sometimes, you know, just across the board. And we watch TV, you know, parents, students watch TV. And a lot of, you know, there's a lot of modeling, whether intentional or unintentional, that we see. And so, you know, again, as far as an administrator, what do we do? We, we do everything that we can to make sure that um, the, the event is a positive event um, that is one where there is support for the players on the court versus vitriol and anger towards the officials that are are officiating the game and so if there's a situation where we have to intervene we do um i know that you know we have a very collaborative relationship in the berkshire league with our administrative team um uh across the league as as well as the athletic directors um but again going back to my answer before uh, we do leverage relationships. So if that means that we have conversations with, with adults or students at the game or after the game uh, to talk about expectations, we do that as well. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, oftentimes the, uh, the, the conflicts that, that we see at games have nothing to do with the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're in the stands. They're, they're before the game. They're after the game. Uh, I can think of a couple situations uh, last year with basketball games where uh, the game was just the place where these people from different communities came together, yeah. uh, and and that's you know and that resulted in um, comments or some fights, you know, things taking place. But the players on the floor, the coaches on the floor, had nothing mm-hmm. uh, to do with that. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's it's a good point, and as just raising even from that perspective of what the NFL is is looking at right now. Uh, so, Katrina, you know, you're going to kick off now and like I said, about about a month, right? And uh, looking to get back to where you were in 2019, sitting on the floor of the Mohegan Sun Arena, raising a, a state championship uh, over your head with that. So uh, first, talk, talk about uh, as you begin, what are the discussions you have with kids? Is it, is it about getting to that championship, winning that championship? Uh, how do you start your season and define success for your teams at the beginning of the year? We start off academically. And so right now, the work that you put in into schoolwork is what I'm going to expect from you on the court. And so those are our conversations. If you know, you're average and you're getting C's and you're just kind of working, you're not trying your best, and that's what I'm going to expect from you on the court. And so um, just pushing them for greatness and having them understand that it's hand-in-hand and basketball can be a lifetime. You know, I'm 43 right now. Basketball been part of my life since I was 14, and it's going to continue. But just knowing that, you know, you're not a light switch. You can't turn, turn, turn it on and off. And so it starts in the classroom, then it comes on the floor, and we start, just start preparing. 
we work on our weaknesses. Um, like I taught before, we do a lot of circle restorative talk so we can get to know each other. We're gonna have a very young team, so I have the um, opportunity to bring in our young freshmen to get to understand talking and using emotion and really opening up is um, gonna be beneficial for the season. So we start there. That's awesome. And conditioning, so. <laughs> Okay, so Gary, planning for these March championship games, they began last month, and you're involved in every aspect of it from the dedication ceremony to each championship game. So what is it like for you to be a part of these state basketball championships at Mohegan Sun Arena? Yeah, it is so awesome. So when you're ask, you were asking that question, I'm like going back in time to, you know, actually experiencing the whole weekend, right? And so um, quite frankly, we make it a little bit of a, a family excursion. So my wife, my daughters, we go down there. Uh, and it really starts with the dedication ceremony. And, and what a great opportunity to kind of, you know, recognize some folks that are very influential and have had a, a positive impact of the game of basketball in the state of Connecticut. And so that's, that's a great start. And then just getting to experience those two full days of championship games. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even though you may get a little bit tired because it's a full day, every game there's brand new energy because you've got two new schools, two new teams, the fans coming in, and it is awesome. And, you know, you kind of experience the butterflies a little bit. I mean, I, I used to play, I used to coach. Now I'm going there to help out and, and hand out awards, but you still feel that, that energy and that passion and those, those emotions. And so it's, it's such a great uh, experience for the kids. The venue is fantastic. Mohegan Sun has been um, such a great um, uh, place to, to host the games, and, and they're great working with us. And so, um, yeah, I, I really have nothing, nothing negative to say. It's a great weekend uh, for, for players, for spectators, uh, for schools. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, definitely a great weekend. Mm -hmm. So, Katrina, for the girls and the boys who play on this court at Mohegan Sun Arena, they're stepping on the same court as some of their idols from UConn, from the WNBA's Connecticut Sun, and even Michael Jordan. So what do you think it means to these CIC athletes to be able to play on a court with such a rich tradition of basketball royalty? It just makes their dreams bigger. Mm -hmm. You know, they're actually on the same court that they can fill and um, put themselves in the shoes of these professionals. So it gives them opportunity to dream more. Um, they've accomplished one thing, so to the next, to the next, you know, and they've seen college players play on that floor. So. Mm -hmm. They're in their shoes at that moment, getting ready for the bright lights. Mm -hmm. So throughout this podcast, we, uh, we try to inform our, our listeners and viewers about uh, what the purpose of education-based athletics and CIEC sports is all about. So Katrina, in all the work that, that you do with our uh, kids and, uh, and our athletes, for you, what is the purpose of education-based high school sports? Um, I think we have the upper hand student athletes um, to become great leaders and to take education, to take the sport serious. So it gives them an opportunity of uh, maybe a little bit of faster growth, a better pace for it, um, just in growth itself. And you talked earlier too about for you it starts with academics. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of life lessons that you're talking about with kids just beyond the skills of the game. Uh, and, and you do that in your professional life outside the court as well. Tell us a little bit about uh, your work and what you do in helping kids prepare for life beyond school. Yes, so um, right now I work for a nonprofit, the Justice Education Center. I'm a youth coordinator um, for Career Pathways, and also we run some um, after school and summer, fall, winter um, programs for our students. 
And so it gives them an opportunity to explore career pathways. Um, so right now at Hill House High School, um, over the New Haven region, we have automotive and we also have um, construction connected to the union. So our students can leave straight from high school and go right into the field. And uh, we have great opportunities, great programs for it. So hands-on experience, workforce, and um, just being able to apply it and saying, hey, we've been pushing four-year colleges for so long. I actually like this, and I have opportunity to go straight from school to work, make money, and to build a career. So it's a, it's a, a great opportunity for New Haven to have to be able to um, join the Justice Ed. Uh, we also do um, camps in the summer where we work on uh, work with disengaged students. Um, we are restorative base, echo base, and it gives me an opportunity to really get to know our community, for the community to get to know us and um, to help each other and, and through growth and education. It's fun. It's, it's called Summer of Fun that we do. Um, from middle school to high school, they're able to get into the automotive. They're able, they're able to do carpentry. Um, in our after-school programs, we're doing plumbing, we're doing tech, we're doing many things, so opportunities for the kids to see that there's more out there than just, you know, a four-year college. That's great. On and off the court, building yes. leaders for tomorrow. Appreciate that, Katrina. Gary, for you, the purpose of high school sports, education-based, is what? Oh, goodness. I mean, it's, it's exactly what it's education-based. And so teaching and learning happens not only in the classroom, on the court, on the fields. Um, and so, you know, you think about all of those attributes, those characteristics that we look for in our students, you know. So, so at the end of the day, when, when students are crossing the stage at graduation, I shake that, their hands and I hand them their diploma. What are we hoping they're taking with them, right? And so, you know, I think about just being part of sports and, and the perseverance associated with it, the, the grit, the camaraderie, the collaboration, everything that's part of athletics that's education-based. And so a lot of the, the skills that they develop, um, it's not just dribbling. It's not just being able to shoot and having a proper form. It's how are they able to move forward and succeed in life. So they're going to be able to take those skills with them. Mm -hmm. Well, Gary and Katrina, thank you both so much for joining us on this episode of CIC's Glory Days podcast. We wish you the best in the fall championships, and we look forward to seeing you on the court this winter season. And we wish you the best of luck in your run to the sun, and it might be a little bit more quicker pace this year with the new shot clock. Right. So on behalf of Glenn Longarini, I'm Jada Maribel, and we will see you next time on the Glory Days podcast.